This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. Today we complete the principal teaching of the book of Colossians. Now, next week we're going to conclude the book with Paul's final greetings, but today we're going to see Paul's final word of exhortation, of encouragement to the ancient community of believers in Colossae and across 2,000 years of history to us as well. But before we go there, this is Pastor Ethan of Trinity Church at the Beaver Creek Chapel. And today, actually, as I'm recording this, is Friday, April the 21st, 2023. And once again, thanks for joining with me. Okay, let's jump in. My friends, Paul concludes his teachings in Colossians by coming full circle back to the theme of how God has created and called the church to be a community of faith, love, grace, and faithfulness in bringing the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around them. We saw this in the opening paragraphs of the letter. And I'm going to read now from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Again, Paul, this is right at the very beginning of the letter. He's just getting started, and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Then Paul says, In the same way, This gospel, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So, how does Paul begin this letter by praying for the believers? Well, he starts with an inward focus, gratitude for the work that God has done within them, their faith, their hope, their love, their understanding of God's grace. And then right there in the same prayer, Paul turns to an outward focus, his gratitude for how the gospel is bearing fruit through them to the world around them. And now, at the end of the letter, Paul returns to that theme. In our text today, which is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, in his final instructions, Paul says this, So church, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay. You see here, as Paul began his letter by praying for the church, he now concludes by calling the church into prayer. Now, importantly, the focus of this call to prayer, because that's what this is, this is a powerful snapshot of the larger theme of prayer, right? the lens or perspective of prayer that we see throughout the New Testament. Colossians 4, the first two verses that we just read, verses 2, really through the first half of verse 3, Paul says, so devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. And by us, Paul means by himself and the team of people around him. We think probably in Colossus, not in Colossus, in Ephesus at this time. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. 
Okay. And so we go all the way back. If you've been tracking with me all the way through Colossians, in our very first message, we discussed how Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, most likely, again, in Ephesus. And here in just a second, we're going to hear Paul tell us that he is in chains, very possibly along with some of the fellow believers who are working with him. Now, this being the case, Paul's in chains, he's in prisons, maybe with his friends around them. That being the case, there's something that we might consider odd or even unusual about Paul's prayer request here. Well, what is that? Well, think of it this way. What does Paul not ask the church to pray for? He doesn't ask them not to pray for it. He just doesn't ask them to pray for it. Well, it's his freedom. You see, Paul's current circumstances are hard. He's unjustly imprisoned and in chains, and he barely mentions it. You know, if you were to go to virtually any evangelical church prayer meeting, and, and maybe in the larger Christian world, Catholic world, Orthodox world, I'm part of the evangelical world, that's my background. But if you were to go to any of the evangelical church, the ones I've been a part of in my life, and you go to the, the prayer meeting, maybe a Wednesday night, whatever it may be, and maybe somebody there, they bring up their missionary friend who's been captured, maybe in a third world country, and thrown in prison. I can virtually guarantee you that the first, maybe predominantly, maybe only thing that we would pray for is that this person would be delivered from the hardship of their circumstance, that they would be set free, that they'd be delivered from jail, right? And there's lots of different varieties that you could, that, that you could have of that scenario. You see, friends, this is the overwhelmingly predominant concept of prayer that you will find in the church today, right? Praying for God to deliver us or our loved ones and our loved ones, from the difficulty of the circumstances of our life. And now, to be clear, Scripture does invite us to pray this way. Hebrews 4.16 is a great example where, where the writer says, So then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And the idea of then, of course, right now, approaching God's throne of grace is through prayer so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And now, even, even there, though, that's not explicitly circumstantial. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, another famous passage, Paul writes, So don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are powerful scriptures, wonderful scriptures. But friends, here's the thing. And this is so important, and, and honestly, it's hard for us to grasp at times. The far greater, right, overwhelmingly greater and consistent emphasis of prayer in the New Testament is not asking God for miraculous physical circumstantial deliverance, but rather it is seeking to know God, to experience God's presence, and to be used by God for His kingdom and His glory in the midst of our circumstance, whatever they may be, even if we are in prison, right? Literally, metaphorically, or otherwise. Now, friends, this is what Paul is teaching us here. See, the idea of being watchful isn't about the end times, as many have sought to make this out to be, but rather the idea of watchfully, um, being, being watchful and thankful, being a picture of praying for God to be at work in our world and then watchful, expectant for how God will work through us to answer that prayer. 
and that we would be filled with gratitude when he does. You may have heard somebody, you know, point out that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your will be done, um, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for us to really pray that, to sincerely pray, may your kingdom come on earth, may your will be done on earth, is to say, Lord, may you use me to be a part of bringing about your kingdom on earth, right? To be a part of bringing about and, and living out your will on this earth. The, the theologian N.T. Wright that I've mentioned multiple times throughout this series, he puts it this way. As children of the day, Christians are to keep awake, looking out on the sleeping world, this world which is the object of God's love, and therefore should also be the object of our loving and devoted prayer. Paul, God through Paul, is calling us for the focus of our prayer to be how God is about his work of redeeming this world. And a wonderful scripture, challenging scripture on that note, I'm not going to quote it here, but go back and read Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, with emphasis on verse 20. That verse will rock us a bit when it comes to the reality of God's ongoing work to bring about the redemption of his creation that he loves. And so Paul asked the church to pray for his team, right? Not that they would be, you know, um, released from prison, but that God would open a door for their message. And just what is this message that Paul wants to proclaim? Well, it is the mystery the mystery, he says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, so what does Paul mean by the mystery of Christ? Well, this is what he spent the first two chapters of the letter describing. Now, friends, to be sure, when we talk about or when Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, this contains the core message of the gospel. But it is much larger, and on that larger, that larger perspective, this is the mystery of the believer's union with Christ. The mystery that Christ is our very life. The mystery of the fullness of God's grace. All right, listen again to excerpts from the scripture. This is in Colossians 1, I'm starting in verse 25, and then verses 2 and 3 from chapter 2. In any case, we, we, we read this. And Paul says, I have become its servant by the commission, and it's the, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Right, some translations say to the saints. For to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, or to make known among this world around us that God created and he still loves, to make known among the outsiders the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul said, My goal is that they, right, believers, that we may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ah, my friends, you can almost feel Paul's emotion here. 
this mystery, the miracle of what God has accomplished through Christ, the miracle of Christ's presence in us and as our very lives, as our source of lives, this is the mystery of hope, of salvation, of redemption, and freedom, and goodness that the world needs to know. This is our message. This is what we proclaim. And so then in verse 4, Paul says, pray that I may proclaim this clearly as I should. And when we hear these words, to proclaim it clearly, what may come to mind is the image of Paul either preaching, right, up, up on a, a stump somewhere or, you know, in a room, um, you know, lots of people around him listening to him, or maybe writing his letters, dictating his letters in prison or otherwise. In our own context, we may think of a preacher in front of a big audience, maybe on TV, or maybe an influential author or teacher. And of course, Paul did these things. But if we follow Paul through the book of Acts, we will see that Paul didn't just proclaim the mystery, he proclaimed it by living the mystery. I mean, in every situation, Paul lived sacrificially. He loved the people he met and that he influenced, including the Romans, right? The evil Romans who were holding everybody in bondage, city after city, right? They were always the ones who were in control. And it's so instructive for us to note that Paul never called down condemnation on the evil governments that control the towns and control the land in which he lived. Rather, he sought common ground and he loved them. And in many, many instances, we have actual um, verbiage in the book of Acts that tells us how Paul was on good terms with the Romans he was around, even when he was their captive. You know, through riots, beatings, rejection, successes, roadblocks, shipwrecks, and even as he testified to the most powerful people of his time, Paul relentlessly trusted God. And his life was a living testimony to the mystery of Christ's presence and power at work in the humble trappings of a mere man. For when it comes down to it, Paul was a person just like you and me. And the Greek word here for proclaim has a broader meaning than we hear in the English, what we think of in the English. And that literally means to fully reveal or to make manifest. See, in other words, just as... Um, as we just described from Paul's own life, he's not just calling us to speak the mystery of Christ, but to live out the mystery of Christ. I mean, simply put, to live in the goodness of our identity as new creations in Jesus, to express the nature and character of Christ in our relationships with people. Kindness, patience, hope, peace, love, acceptance, right? And we could go on. You see, to live out the mystery of Christ means that we will increasingly and genuinely be people who are humble and thankful, who live with integrity and honesty with everyone. Now, we explored this on Easter Sunday, the idea that this is resurrection living. This is the life of the new life of Christ within us. Um, as that continually transforms us, into the goodness of God in Christ and how we engage and relate to the world around us, right? And real relationships, very practically so. And friends, a big part of actually doing this, of manifesting and revealing the presence of Christ in us, this is where Paul goes next as he calls us to, I'm describing it here as a divine self-awareness. Verse 5, 
Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Be wise. Seek to develop an ongoing, spirit-led self-awareness of how our words and our actions impact people and how we live, how we speak. Are we authenticating the love of God or are we lowering a person's concept of God? You know, in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves, especially when we're in in dynamics where we think that we're being treated unfairly, right? There's difficulty going on. You know, is our first thought, now I'm going to assert my rights here, or it's my right to do what I want. What is best for me? Or is our first thought, you know, how how can I make God beautiful in this dynamic, in this situation? How can my words and actions influence the people in this situation with the authenticity and the goodness of God? Right Right now are my words and actions expressing the sacrificial and humble love of Christ. Friends, here's the deal. Most of the times, life doesn't tell us, hey, in 10 minutes or tomorrow, you're going to have a really challenging situation with someone. So heads up, be ready to sincerely express the love of Jesus. No, that's not really the way life works. Every now and then we have a bit of a, a heads up, but most of the time it's bam, life is here. We're thrust into a situation. How do we respond? And to respond in this way, is for that to genuinely be what is already the way within our heart. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that again when we wrap up. But friends, this is making the most of every opportunity. This is the perspective that expects God's to open that expects God to open doors, to give us opportunities to reveal, to manifest his presence to other people. And when the time is right, to share and validate the gospel. Now, a big way we do this is through our own spiritual and emotional health. You know, the phrase, be wise in the way you act, most simply means to walk in wisdom, right? It's the idea of something that is an ongoing, but really our ongoing countenance of life. In other words, to express God's pattern seen in Christ for full and authentic human living. N.T. Wright said that. Now, Paul wraps this thought up by bringing us to the most intimate level of our social lives. And these are our actual conversations with people. Using a phrase that was as interesting then as it is now, Paul calls us to be people of salty grace. I love love this verbiage here. Verse 6, he says, So let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This idea of being full of grace may have a double meaning. Because on one hand, we have the gift. We do. This is just part of who we are as believers. We have the gift of conveying the amazing truth of God's grace, sharing the message of faith in Christ, even if in a very simple way. Now, on the other hand, and this is actually more likely the meaning here, is that our conversation is gracious. And how we speak, how we listen, our tone, our patience, right? Our countenance, being self-aware not to talk over people, right? We are full of grace. We are gracious, 
Our conversations are not primarily about us. They seek to bring goodness to whom we speak. And our desire is that when the conversation is done, when the person walks away, we walk away, whatever, in some way that God has been revealed and glorified, that God has been made beautiful. Well, what about this idea of being seasoned with salt? Okay, it's really not that difficult. Salt played pretty much the same role in the first century as it does now. Salt is a flavor enhancer. In the right amount, it can bring life to an otherwise boring dish. Salt's also a preservative, and it has cleansing and sometimes even curative properties. And if you put all of these together, we begin to see this image emerge of a believer's speech and countenance as being something that brings life to other people, that intrigues, that invites people to consider faith in Christ because they see and hear its authenticity and its goodness in our lives. To reference N.T. Wright just one more time, he points out that a tedious monologue is worse than useless in evangelism. You know, it's a tragedy if in our zeal for people to hear the words of the gospel, if we have that zeal anyway, that if we make the good news of Jesus boring, trite, or even worse, political. Friends, Paul here calls us to make our Christian presence, our witness, interesting and lively and compassionate, intelligent and relevant into the lives of the people that we have come to understand because we sincerely have listened to them. And then, when questions come about our faith, we are ready to engage that conversation, ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Now, there's lots more that we could explore there, but let's end with just one more thought. Through Paul, God has called us to be people devoted to prayer, with the focus of our prayer being God's work in the world around us and how we may be a part of it. We have been called to proclaim, to reveal, to manifest the mystery of Jesus and God's grace, doing so by how we live, how we express the nature and the character of Christ in our relationships right, with the people around us. We've been called to expect God to work through us, right, to expect, right, to look forward to it, for God to work through us, right, to live with an ongoing desire to make the most of every opportunity to bring the hope and life of Jesus into another person's story. We've been called to be people of salty grace, bringing life and vitality by both our presence and our words. And my friends, when we think of all of that, the only way this will happen is if the love and goodness of Christ is experienced in our own hearts. Because when it comes down to it, This whole passage that we've just read, really the totality of the letter of Colossians. My friends, this call to action, because that's what it is, this is a matter of our heart. Are we allowing Christ to continually bring conviction and healing and restoration into our own hearts, into our own stories? Because, friends, if we're not, it's virtually impossible that we will impart his healing and restoration into another person's story. Likewise, and this is my last thought, my friends, to bring people the hope and salvation of Christ, we must genuinely love people. Right? We must genuinely desire to make people's lives better. 
We must genuinely want to listen, to understand, and then to bring our experience of Christ's love into another person's experience of life's brokenness. And friends, this kind of other-focused grace that we've just seen described to us is impossible to do out of obligation. It's impossible to live out of a sense of pure obedience, at least in the longer term. You see, trying to present the message of Christ's love to people we ourselves don't love is just exhausting. And also, honestly, the insincerity can be spotted a mile away. But when we allow the Spirit of Christ in us to soften our hearts and grow within us a genuine love for this world, that this world that God created and that He loves, then expressing that love becomes a natural response to our own experience of Christ's presence and goodness. Now, this isn't to say that it can't be hard or challenging, because it can be and it will be. A genuine sacrificial love is just that. It's sacrificial. It can cost us. It requires a depth of humility that only the Spirit can bring. But friends, with that challenge comes a promise. And the promise is that this humility and this love is something the Spirit of Christ in us will bring. As we sincerely are devoted to prayer, as we are watchful for the work of God, and filled with joy and gratitude when we get to participate in the goodness and the work of God and the glory of God. Ah, my friends, may it be said of us. Thank you so much for joining with me today, and I hope that you're back here with me next week as we will bring to its full conclusion Paul's letter to the Colossians. Have a wonderful week, everyone.